today. Uh, you know, when I, uh, when I first met Jacob, uh, it was at an associational meeting, and I think he introduced himself to me this way. I think he said, Jacob Hall, Simmons Grove Baptist Church. And what I heard was his name was Jacob Hall Simmons. <laughs> and the church was Grove Baptist Church. And so I was talking to my friend Dan Merritt a few days later, and I said, you know, I was really impressed with one of those young men at the meeting, uh, Jacob Simmons. And he said, I don't know Jacob Simmons. I said, you've got to meet this guy. He is a fantastic uh, guy, you know, and uh, I'm going to see if I can get lunch for you guys together sometime, you know. And then he said, I think you're talking about Jacob Hall at Simmons Grove. And I said, ah, that makes sense. But I learned something new today, and that is that he is multi-talented. How about uh, for your pianist here, right? I mean, uh, you know, let me let you know, anytime that you need a substitute pianist, just let me know and I will come and preach so that Jacob can play the piano. Uh, well, it is a joy to be with you today. Uh, and I bring you greetings from your Baptist State Convention of North Carolina and our executive director, Todd Unzicker, we thank you for being part of a movement of churches on mission together through your gifts to the cooperative program and the North Carolina missions offering. Uh, we are excited about what God is doing in our state and around the world through uh, our partner churches. So uh, thank you for being one of them. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to read verses 13 to 30. And uh, study God's word together and ask him to impart to us a vision for the world. Romans 15, uh, verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient." In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason... I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But uh, now, having no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey, and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. 
But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, Jacob, in his introduction, said he's not really sure what my job is. Honestly, I'm not uh, all that sure yet either, uh, because my job changed on October 1st to something new. For the last four years, I was serving as a strategy coordinator for the triad with the Baptist State Convention. And uh, some of you may recall, I was here on a Wednesday night, I think it was, uh, back uh, a year and a half ago or so to help you kick off your Annie Armstrong uh, offering, I believe it was. And, uh, and in my new role, as of October 1st, I'm serving as Great Commission Catalyst. And uh, so what that means, as I understand it, a week into it now, is uh, that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm available to you, to your church, your pastor, to your association as an encourager and a resourcer, but also as a catalyst and a strategist and a mobilizer to help you discover the least and hardest to reach peoples and places in your community and to help you uh, develop a sustainable plan to engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But beyond this community as a mobilizer, uh, I am tasked with connecting you to the resources and relationships that will enable you to take the gospel beyond this community to the least and hardest to reach people and places elsewhere in North Carolina, around our nation, and around the world. Because your church is significant in the plans and purposes of God. Uh, some hundred and... Six years ago, God put this church here by his providence to make a difference in the world. And uh, you have a place in his plan to get the gospel to all nations, to the ends of the earth. And to do that effectively and faithfully, we must have a vision for the world. So let me ask you a question. <clears throat> I know this is a praying church. Uh, in fact, my eyes are barely strong enough to, uh, to make out the long list of prayer requests on your bulletin. So I know you believe in prayer. But let me ask you a question. If God were to answer every prayer this church prayed, how would the world be different? How would the world be different? What would change in the world tomorrow... If God answered all of your prayers tonight, are we praying with a vision for the world? Uh, throughout the Bible, we find that God's own vision is the establishment of a kingdom in which every nation, tribe, people, and language are brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, many of these nations and peoples have already been reached with the gospel, but many more have not. 
And we're sending missionaries around the world to many of these places and many of these people. And God in his surprising providence is bringing the world to us as the nations settle into our neighborhoods around North Carolina. And so it's never been easier to get the gospel to the world's most unreached people as it is right now. But are we praying with a vision for the world? This uh, passage of scripture that we've read today is Paul's vision for global missions, which we can apply to ourselves and to our church in order to advance this kingdom that God is establishing to the ends of the earth as he forms for himself a people from every nation, tribe, and language. So how can this vision become a reality here at Simmons Grove Church? Well, let's ask the question of our text and see what answers we find there in these verses. We see, first of all, that a a, a vision for the world, we might call it a vision for the world or or a great commission vision, a missions vision, is built on compassion for the unreached. Notice in verse 19 that Paul says he has fully preached the gospel from Jerusalem round about as far as Illyricum. Uh, he says now, now his desire is not to preach where Christ has already been named. He, he wants to go to those places where Christ has not yet been made known. So he says, you know, I don't, I don't want to build on another man's foundation. So he says, I don't have a place left here in these parts. Now, we should say there's nothing wrong with building on another man's foundation. Thank God some people are called to do just that. Uh, your church wouldn't be here today if uh, some people that God raised up to build on others' foundations hadn't come along. Uh, everywhere that Paul preached, he left behind others to carry on the work that he began and to build on his foundation. But Paul was compelled personally by compassion for the unreached. And that means that he was constantly looking for new places and new people to preach the gospel where no one else had been before. So he had his sights set on Spain, because for all he knew, that was the ends of the earth at that point. You know, I don't know exactly what Paul's uh, uh, idea of geography was, but you know, it was not until uh, uh, sometime uh, around Columbus's time that that people thought if you went past a certain point, you just fell off the edge. Uh, I learned that watching Bugs Bunny when I was a kid. But, um, you know, so Paul had his thoughts on Spain because he thought nobody's been there before and that's the end. Like that's as far as I can go. And so he was either going to get the message to Spain or he was going to die trying. Now, uh, when the Bible speaks of nations, as it does uh, in the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28, for example, many other places uh, make disciples of all nations, for example, It doesn't mean nations like we think of nations, like, you know, lines on a map. The the language of Scripture indicates that nations are groups of people who are bound together by a common ethnicity. In fact, the Greek word used in the Bible is ethne. It's ethnic uh, connection. It's They're bound together by their ancestry, their language, their history, their heritage, in some cases their physical characteristics or geography, other factors that, that unite them culturally together. And so within any given country's borders, uh, including our own, there are multitudes of distinct People groups, we would call them. The biblical term is nations. Now today, 
uh, I shouldn't say today, Friday, when I looked this up, Friday, the International Mission Board calculates that there are approximately 11,936 distinct people groups in the world. And that number is always changing. Uh, because we, we go out into uh, some part of the world and we realize that uh, the, a group of people that we thought were one people group, actually uh, within that group there are two factions of people that don't like each other because of some battle that was fought 100 years ago. And so there are actually two people groups. So that, that number is always changing. Uh, but as of Friday, 11,936 people groups in the world. Now, more than half of these, 7,316 of these people groups are considered unreached. And what do we mean when we say unreached people groups? We're talking about a group of people in the world where less than 2% of them are born-again followers of Jesus. Uh, 2%. So 2 out of every 100. Okay, 20 out of every 1,000. So the situation is so drastic that uh, we have to consider that 20 people are capable of reaching a thousand in order to check the box and say we don't need to to concentrate missionally on that people group anymore we've seen some people groups become reached and go back unreached in fact but uh, more than half of the people groups of the world are less than two percent christian and of those 5,117 people groups are entirely unengaged by any gospel ministry. They have virtually no access to the gospel at all. So I want you to just think for a moment about yourself, right? This morning when you woke up, maybe the first thing you did was grab your Bible. Uh, maybe you uh, had coffee out of a mug with a scripture verse on it. You might have even listened to some gospel music this morning and then drove to church here to have this time of worship together, uh, you know, here in this building that's dedicated to the worship of God. And so in these 5,000 people groups, none of that would have been possible because they have virtually no access to the gospel at all. Now, those numbers are staggering, but maybe with a, a blurry idea of what a people group is, it would become more clear to talk about it in terms of individual people, okay? So, uh, of the world's 7.9 billion people, nearly 4.7 billion of them, well over half of the world's population, live among those unreached people groups, those less than 2% uh, Christian people groups, and over a billion, with a B, live among those unengaged people groups where there is no access to the gospel. So uh, if it helps you remember all those numbers, just think this, okay? There's a billion people in the world who have no access to the gospel. Now, whenever I share that information, uh, I'll always have somebody say to me, well, I mean, we've got lost people right here in our own town that we need to reach. So why should we care about that billion people who live over across the ocean? And my response to them is a question. I usually say, well, tell me what you're doing to reach those lost people here in your own town. And you'd be surprised maybe that usually they don't have an answer. Uh, I've yet to find the person or the church that is so busy reaching lost people in their own community that they don't have the bandwidth to start thinking about the unreached peoples of the world. In fact, the more active people are in reaching their own community, they typically are more compassionate about reaching the lost to the ends of the earth. 
But the reality is this, you know, even in our own community, our research shows that about two-thirds of our neighbors are perishing in lostness, and many of the world's most unreached people are moving into this, our cities around us and in, in, in our state. And so the reality is we can no longer fake our compassion for the lost by creating this false dichotomy of local missions versus global missions, because Acts 1.8 has always called us to be on mission together from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when Jesus gave that great commission statement in Acts 1-8, it wasn't a multiple choice question. He wasn't saying, take your pick. He was saying Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And today, friends, that is a smaller target than it's ever been because of migration and technology and communication and transportation, we can actually see it happen in our lifetimes if we'd be committed to a vision for the world. The Word of God reminds us boldly here. Paul says, I've written more boldly to you on some points. He says, it's not because you're not good people, you know. He says, I know that, uh, that you are full of goodness and that you are filled with knowledge, and that you are able to admonish and teach each other. But because of who you are, I can be more bold with you and tell you that there's a world out there where Christ has not been named. There are many portions of our cities and small towns in North Carolina that are as unreached as some foreign countries. Now, Matthew 9.36 says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd so i wonder when you watch the news when you read the paper or magazine or the internet page wherever you get your news source hopefully it's not facebook but when you see things happening around the world are you moved with compassion for the unreached peoples of the world like jesus was that's where this vision for the Great Commission begins. Now secondly, a, a mission vision like this is built not only on, on compassion for the unreached, but, but also conviction from the Word. Uh, when Pastor Jacob and I were talking a few days ago about this service, I asked him, you know, do you have anything in mind that I should preach? And, and he, he said, you preach as God leads you. And I said, good, because I'd already written the sermon. Uh, but uh, no, he, he told me, he, he, he said, uh, I'm going to be beginning a series. Can I give a spoiler here? I'm going to be beginning a series on the Great Commission. And I said, oh, that's perfect, because what I've prepared to preach is actually uh, will actually help set the tone for that, I hope. Uh, and, and maybe even uh, make you look forward to, uh, to, to those, those messages you're going to hear. Uh, whet your appetite. This could be the appetizer. And he's going to bring the main course. Uh, now, uh, in fact, what I told him was, I said, I rarely preach a message that doesn't deal with missions. Now you say, well, that's understandable because you're kind of a missionary. You do, you do mission stuff for work. Yeah, well, that's true. But it's also because whenever I preach, I use the Bible. And uh, during the 20 years that I served as a pastor, uh, I used to have people say, oh, when are you going to preach on something other than missions? And I used to say, well, when, as soon as I come across a passage of Scripture that doesn't deal with missions, I promise you I won't preach on missions that Sunday. But uh, every passage of Scripture I've read, and I've read them all, has to do with missions. Because God's heart for the world is evident on every page of the Bible. 
And so where did God, oh, where did Paul get this idea that God wants the gospel to go to all the unreached peoples of the world? Notice what he says in verse 21, these very important words, as it is written, as it is written, written where? Written in the Bible, <laughs> as it is written in the Bible. And then he quotes Isaiah fifty-two fifteen. They who have had no news of him, uh, uh, that's a different translation, sorry, uh, in, tw- in verse 21, as it is written, to, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Now, in the context of Isaiah, that passage has to do with the coming of the Messiah. And in the surrounding verses in Isaiah 52, You know, he's building up to Isaiah 53, which is the famous passage of the suffering servant. But in that uh, that context of Isaiah 52, he talks about how this Messiah is coming and he will be marred more than any man. Of course, that refers to the brutal death of Jesus on the cross where he died for the sins of humanity. But the, the prophet declares that the outcome of his suffering, he will sprinkle many nations. Now, we uh, rightly understand that to mean a sprinkling with his saving blood. Just as uh, the high priest uh, in the Old Testament tabernacle or temple would take the branch of hyssop and dip it into the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on the people and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. So this Messiah will sprinkle many nations with his own blood. But here's the thing. Many nations haven't heard about this Messiah or about his death or about his blood. So in verse 16, Paul likens himself to a priest. He says, ministering the gospel of God. Now, a priest, you know, is an intermediary. Uh, A priest stands in between God and man and uh, represents God to mankind and mankind before God. And Paul speaks there about how he is, he is in this position of priesthood offering up to God the offering of the Gentiles, the, the nations of the world. But this quotation uh, of, from Isaiah also suggests that Paul sees this ministry that God's given him by grace as a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. So he's proclaiming the good news, and when he does, it's as though he is sprinkling the blood of Jesus over the nations who have not yet heard the gospel. So Paul's mission vision is built on his conviction from the word. He's establishing it here in Isaiah 52, 15. Now, uh, I think Paul, have you ever done this? Say, I need a word from the Lord. I'm just going to flip in my Bible and let it flop open and point my finger there. I think Paul could have just about done that. And come up with a passage to root this in, right? Because, in fact, uh, by the way, I don't recommend that. Uh, you know, just just pick a book of the Bible, read a portion of that book one day after another. But anyway, uh, just before this passage, in the very same chapter, Paul is explaining his calling to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And, uh, and when he does, he is rattling off like... The Bible drill. Do you guys, you guys have Bible drill? Or have you, do you know what that is? You know, it's like when somebody says Psalm 23 and everybody, the first one to get it, you know, raise their hand, right? So Paul's doing Bible drill just before this passage and he starts rattling off beginning around verse uh, nine. He starts rattling off Psalm 18, Deuteronomy 22, uh, Psalm 117, Isaiah 11. 
And he's just uh, hitting them with one passage after another from the Old Testament of, uh, of this mission's uh, vision. In fact, if, if there's a scriptural key to unlock the unfolding theme of the whole Bible, uh, I would suggest to you that it's not found in, in, in the New Testament. It's actually found in the Old Testament. You don't have to go far to get to it. I believe it's found in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And there uh, God promises to bless Abram and make him into a great nation. See, that's what God promises to do for Abram. But then God speaks of what he will do through Abram and his family. He says, you shall be a blessing. And he says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And friends, the rest of the Old Testament, in fact the entire rest of the Bible, is the unfolding story about how God blessed Abraham and made his descendants into the nation whom he would use to bring salvation to the world. Because it was through Abraham's descendants that Jesus was born, and through Christ that Jews and Gentiles alike were brought together into one body, the church. And the Great Commission has now been given to the church so that through this body, the message might still go out to reach all nations. We are living out the promise of Abraham when we make Christ known to the unreached peoples of the world. Now, if you have this understanding of this sort of center line of the Bible, you won't read a page of Scripture without seeing it. Once you see it, you see it in every passage. It's like, when you, you ever notice when you, get a, when you get a new car, and you go to the dealership and you say, oh, I like this car. I, nobody's got a car like this. I'll, I'll have the most unique car in town if I buy this car. And you buy that car and then you get out on the road and every car you see is just like your car, right? Uh, it, because once, you, once you're looking for it, you see it everywhere, right? And, and, and so every page of the Bible is declaring to us that God's heart beats for all nations to know His glory. So every great miracle of the Old Testament, from the parting of the Red Sea to the slaying of Goliath, although I'm not sure that's a miracle. David hit him in the head with a rock. That didn't take a miracle to make that happen. But, but anyway, uh, all the great wonders that God did have as their underlying purpose that the nations may know this one true God of Israel. And God is still at work through his church to make Christ known to all nations. It's the message of Scripture. So in Luke 24, after the resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is saying the whole Bible was pointing to me. It's all been pointing to me. And the Bible says that he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He wanted them to see that this is the central theme running through the entire Bible. It's not just a random collection of pithy little wisdom quotes. That God's telling an unfolding narrative of how he's going to build a kingdom for himself of every tribe, nation, people, and language. And so Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. 
Paul understood the biblical mandate of reaching the unreached peoples of the world. And this became a biblical conviction on which his mission vision was built. And I'm convinced that regardless of what a church is or does, if it doesn't have a burden for reaching unreached people in the world, that church has not understood the Bible. Now, that, that may sound harsh, but I don't mean to be critical. I'm just pointing out that if that's the central theme of the Bible and we're not doing it, then we're not obeying God's word. And if we're not obeying God's word, then, then the only options are that, that we choose to be disobedient and God will bring judgment on us for that. Or that we're uninformed and unaware. And, and, and if it's that we're uninformed and unaware, we have grace to learn and understand and to begin to implement what we see in Scripture. If we study the Bible with open minds, we'll see it on every page. And the Spirit of God will convict us of His calling to the nations. And that conviction becomes a foundation for this vision for the world. So it's a compassion for the unreached, sure, but that's not enough. It's conviction from the Word of God that creates this vision. Now thirdly, and finally, a missions vision. A vision for the world is built on cooperation for the kingdom. Uh, that's really what makes us unique as Baptists, is that, you know, we're not a denomination. There's no one in Nashville that uh, picks up the phone and calls Todd and Carrie and says, Hey, Todd, here's what you need to tell your churches to do. And then Todd doesn't pick up the phone and call Dan Merritt at the Surrey Association and say, Hey, Dan, here's what you need your churches to do. And then Dan doesn't call Jacob and say, Jacob, you better do this because we're getting orders from all No, 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 it doesn't work like that in Baptist life. We're not a denomination. We're a movement of churches on mission together through voluntary cooperation. So why do we gather together in meetings and organizations, things like that? Because we want to. Because we believe we can do more together than we can apart. Uh, you know, your church could do a lot. But you can do a lot more in partnership with 2,800 other North Carolina Baptist churches. Your church can do a lot, and we can do a lot as 2,800 North Carolina Baptist churches. But we can do a whole lot more with 40,000 Southern Baptist churches across the country. We can do more together when we cooperate than we can individually. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I used to go to the circus a lot. Uh, for any young children in the room, that was a thing that happened a long time ago where there may or may not been, have been the mistreatment of some animals, okay? And so we don't have that anymore. But it, it wasn't the animals that intrigued me, although, you know, I don't mind seeing animals. But I was always fascinated by the acrobats. Because, uh, you know, it's amazing what they could do. And as I got older, probably in one of the last circuses that I went to, I mean, I'm watching this, there's like a man and a woman, and they're like flying all over the arena. And I'm like, how in the world do they do that? And suddenly, down below, uh, I look around and I see some people all dressed in black running around in the area outside the spotlights. And, and, and as I studied what these people are doing, you know, they look like six-foot-tall cockroaches just scurrying around trying to stay out of the light. And what are they doing down there? I realized they were holding the ropes. Now, I never even noticed that the acrobats were attached to ropes. I just thought they were just really good jumpers. But they, they're attached to ropes and these people with the dark clothing and the, the special lighting who, who aren't seen to the average viewer 
are making it possible for them to do what they do. And that whole thing just really fascinated me. I think for the rest of the night, all I did was watch the people holding the ropes. Let's see, the acrobats get all the attention. The spotlight's always on the acrobats. But the acrobats can't do what they do if it weren't for this team of people holding the ropes in the shadows. And friends, that's a big part of how missions works around the world. And when it comes to, to missions, we think of that individual, you know, who, who packs his or her essential items in a trunk and sets sail for the jungle to live alone among the heathens. And, and we see them on videos and we read about them in books and magazines. And sometimes they come and visit and they show us pictures of amazing things they've seen and done and, and we give them money. And, uh, you know, in the, in the world of evangelical Christianity, missionaries are the acrobats. The spotlight is always on. On them. They perform great feats of courage and strength. They fly high, they fly far. But if you ask any missionary, they'll tell you that they can only do what they do because of those who hold the ropes for them. We hold the ropes for them as we lift them up earnestly in prayer, as we give sacrificially for their, their support of, of their work, and as we go to be with them in seasons of short and long-term service to help them in their efforts, and as we send out our very best and brightest to multiply the mission force in the world. Notice in our text that Paul is the acrobatic missionary going off to the ends of the earth for the glory of God. The spotlight is always on him. Uh, you know, Paul is kind of doing this sort of uh, Instagram kind of thing here where he says, you know, I've really been wanting to come see you for a couple of years now, but I'm just so busy. I got so many places to go and so many things to do. You know, I just haven't been able to get there. And that was true. It wasn't, uh, he wasn't making that up. But all his traveling about, you know, he had a great desire, he says, uh, verse uh, 22, uh, he says, uh, I've been hindered from coming to you. He says, I've really been wanting to do that. Many years he's been wanting to come there. Well, why does he want to come to be with them? Verse 24, he says, first and foremost, I just want to be with you. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to be in your fellowship. It's a wonderful thing to experience Christian fellowship. Uh, so wonderful that we've decided to just start serving food at it, you know. And, and every time food breaks out, we say, we're having a fellowship meal, you know. You can have fellowship without food, but it's just wonderful when you bring the food in to the picture, right? And so, uh, you know, maybe Paul wanted some green bean casserole or something like that. So he wanted to go and be with them. Um, now, you know, we take it for granted, because we can, we can do it so often. We can, we can get together with our church family, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, it didn't take long after the uh, pandemic broke out, right, that we, we started to feel the absence of that in our lives. And we, we began to long for the opportunity to be back together physically again. But do you realize many of our missionary friends have by and large given up that privilege, uh, for, for many of our missionaries, they're the only Christians within a radius of several hours' drive. And, and so some couldn't remember the last time they were in a worship service with more than a half a dozen other people. Most of them were missionaries, probably. 
In 2006, when I was pastoring in Greensboro, we had Jerry Rankin, who was then president of the International Mission Board, uh, speak at our church when the Southern Baptist Convention met in Greensboro. And so all these missionaries who were in town for the convention came to our church that morning. And afterwards, you know... I, I, this surely this doesn't happen here, okay? But but we had this deacon who's in charge of locking up, and if people hung around too long, he'd start flicking the lights off and on. <laughs> and the first time those lights flicked off and on, I went back there. I said, "You go home. I'll take care of locking up." You know, because these missionaries couldn't—they just couldn't get over how great it was to be together. Tears in their eyes, and one of them said to me, "We had this uh, gigantic pipe organ." massive, wonderful instrument in our sanctuary. One of them said to me, I can't remember the last time I heard a pipe organ, you know, and, uh, and, and it had been so long since they'd been able to fellowship in an environment like that. We take it for granted every Sunday, but it's very precious to them. And Paul says, look, I just, I just want to come be with you for a little while. I'm sure that they didn't have green bean casserole and I know they didn't have pipe organs, but you know, if it helps you imagine what he's saying is, I haven't heard a pipe organ in a long time, and I really could go for a green bean casserole. But then <clears throat> he speaks of another reason he wants to, to, to see them. He says, I, I need you to hold the ropes for me. Because he says, my, my intention is to go to Spain, and, and I need assistance to get there. So he says, I, I hope you'll help me on my way. Uh and as North Carolina Baptists, as part of this movement of churches on mission together, we are doing this through uh, your gifts to the cooperative program, through the North Carolina mission offering, through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, the Annie Arm Easter offering. We're enabling the gospel to get to the ends of the earth through missionaries and church planters at home and abroad. This just came in a couple of days ago. North Carolina Baptist churches like yours. That when we combine our gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, we are the number one missions giving state in America. So thank you on behalf of 4,000 IMB missionaries and about 3,000 NAM church planters. Thank you for your gifts to those things. You're holding the ropes. You're holding the ropes when you give in these ways. But in addition to these avenues of funding that we have, you know, every now and then you hear about a special project. Uh, that gives you the opportunity to hold the ropes. You know, there's a well that needs to be dug in a village somewhere in Africa or India. There's an orphanage that needs to be built in Central America or a church in Brazil that needs materials and supplies or a special evangelistic project in Pakistan or a leadership development opportunity in Thailand, uh, some Bible translation project in sub-Saharan Africa or uh, some, some means of developing literature or media uh, resources to get the gospel to people in Bhutan. You know, the, these are long-term strategic initiatives that need financial investment to launch and maintain. And, and Paul is on a project like this when he writes this letter. He says, uh, you know, we've got Christians in Jerusalem who are poor and who need help day to day making ends meet. And he says the churches at Macedonia and Achaia have, have learned about this. And, uh, and so they, they kind of started their own uh, Annie Armstrong offering to, uh, to send to them by way of Paul. And he's delivering that gift as he writes the letter. We can hold the ropes through our giving. And another way that we hold the ropes is in our prayers. 
Notice Paul says in verse 30, Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The Greek word that's translated uh, strive there is uh, related to our English word agonize. And I wonder, do we agonize when we pray? When was the last time that we shed tears in our prayers for the unreached peoples of the world and for those who were trying to reach them with the gospel? What if you could find out how God was using your prayers? What if you knew that the time you spent today praying for an unreached people group like the Fulani in West Africa or the uh, Hausa people, the largest uh, unreached people group in Africa, the fourth largest unreached people group in the world where there are more residents of Hausa origin in the city of Greensboro than there are in any non-African city in the world today. What if the time you spent praying for those people or, or for the Taru or Tamang of Nepal, if you could find out how God was answering those prayers, if you could find out that the time you spent praying for a pocket of lostness here in our state, that through your prayers, God would save a dozen of those people tomorrow. What if you knew that the time you spent praying for a specific missionary by name today would prevent them from certain dangers tomorrow. See, God has invited us and made it possible for us to join Him on mission through our prayers. And our prayers don't change God and they don't change His mind or change His will or His method, but prayer is sometimes a condition through which God will do certain work that He has just said, I will do this if my people pray, right? How many times in Scripture do we see that? And when we get to heaven, what we're going to find out is that we never wasted a nanosecond of time in prayer. We'll see how God saved some through our prayers and how he protected others and blessed and worked in powerful ways to answer our prayers and how through our prayers he was sending forth workers into the harvest. I could tell you stories. The first church I pastored, uh, we began to talk about adopting an unreached people group that had no missionary working among them. And they said, well, how much is that going to cost us? I said, well, all all we're going to do is pray. We're just going to pray that God would reach these people. And we prayed, and for about six months we prayed, and we didn't know how to even spell this people group. And we prayed for God to reach them. And I got a call one day from the International Mission Board that said, how close are you to this certain city? I said, I'm about an hour away. He said, good. We just got a call from a couple who lives there that said that God is calling them to that people group in that country. And we got to see that happen through our prayers. Um, You may not get to see it like we saw it in that case. But you'll see it in heaven that you never wasted a moment A mission vision, a vision for the world, depends on cooperation for the kingdom. It's not the work of just a few thousand people who've been appointed as missionaries. It's the work of every Christian and every church, everyone doing their part on mission together. Some are more visible, like the acrobats. Spotlight's going to be on them. But they can't fly high and far if there aren't people on the ground holding the ropes. And that's where most of us find ourselves. So cooperating for the advance of the kingdom, we're holding the ropes in prayer and giving and fellowship with these laborers. One missionary told me a long time ago at his appointment service, he said, I will be the finger that touches my part of the world, but you have to be the arm that keeps me connected. And this is what I want you to envision. These missionaries that are all over the world, they are the fingers, but you have to be the arm. You have to be the arm they're attached to. God's word calls us to a passionate commitment to his mission in the world. And so imagine what God could do 
If you were completely committed to letting God use you to impact the world for Christ, imagine if all of you together, this entire church, what was gripped by that vision? What if each of you began to build relationships with lost people here in your community and share the gospel with them? And what if, what if each of us were striving together in prayer and sacrificing together through giving? And, and what if each of us were serving together in the work and sending our friends and our family and our fellow believers out into this mission? What if we identified a, a people or place in our own community to saturate with the gospel? What if we identified a high-priority city in America where the need for the gospel is great and we partnered with a church planter that God has raised up to send there to make Christ known? What if we adopted an unreached people group where Christ has not been named and, and we put a metaphorical blank check on the altar before the Lord and said, we'll do whatever it takes to make Jesus known to them because he is worthy. Then imagine if 2,800 churches like yours across this state did that and 40,000 like yours across the nation did that, passionately committed to this vision. I believe we would see the Great Commission fulfilled in our lifetimes. The ends of the earth are moving into our Jerusalem and our Judea. They're becoming our Samaria. Our task is to reach the lost wherever they are found, whether it's here or the ends of the earth or anywhere in between. And the Spirit of God calls us and empowers us to do whatever it takes to reach them with the good news of Jesus. So do you have a vision for the world? If you don't, then your vision's too small. And your vision is actually at odds with the Lord's own vision for your life and your church. God is building a movement of churches on mission together across our state. And I want to invite you to be a committed part of that movement. Uh, each of you individually, all of you collectively. Would you say like Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, Here I am, Lord, send me. Would you say, God, use me, use my gifts, use my offerings, use my prayer. Lord, use my church for your glory in the world, beginning right here, right now. For some of you today, that might begin by responding personally to the gospel for yourself. If you're here today and you've never come to know Jesus by faith as your Lord and Savior, maybe you have a very close personal relationship with the church or with someone in this church, but you've never come into a personal relationship with Jesus, the head of the church. We want to invite you today to know Him as your Lord, as your Savior, because that's where real life begins. So we would invite you to come to Him today after the service. We'll be around. Find Jacob, find myself, one of these other faithful members. We'll be glad to pray with you and talk to you about that decision to follow Jesus. But for many of the rest of us today, you already know Christ. You've been walking with Christ for a long time. And it could be that today the Lord is calling you to say, Lord, use me. Use us. Give us a vision for the world. Lord, birth in us a compassion for the unreached that's based on conviction from your word. And help us to cooperate together with others for the sake of your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. How? On earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for how it points us to yourself. And you show us your vision, your purpose. And you've invited us by grace to be part of that. Lord, you didn't just save us from hell. You saved us for yourself and for your mission. And you've given us, as it were, two hands, and one to reach out to you, one to reach out to a lost world. So, Lord, may we do that here in our community. May we do it 
around our state. May we do it across our country and around the world because you are worthy to be known and worshipped by every people and tribe and language and nation on this planet. In Jesus' name, amen.